Well, if we haven't met yet, my name's Luke. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm part of our preaching team. I want to give you a little bit of an update related to the preaching team. The preaching team is myself and Seth, and then a few other folks just uh, kind of pop in here and there, but we really see ourselves as the duo that is the team. And uh, at the end of last year, the elders decided to give Seth and uh, his wife Taylor a sabbatical. If you're a member, you've already heard about that, uh, but we want to let you know that that's coming for him. He's going to be, uh, have the opportunity to be off in June, July, and August, and we're hoping that that's just a real sweet time for he and his family to get away, to be refreshed, to be encouraged. Um, we realize there's some unique pressures in pastoral work, and so we want to help make our pastors have the opportunity to, to be refreshed and to be encouraged. So anyway, so that's coming. Just want to let you know that that's coming. Uh, he he preached today at Redemption Flagstaff, and uh, I just talked to him uh, on my way over here this afternoon. It sounded like it went well up there, and he sends his greetings from there. So uh, he'll be with you next week, and he'll be preaching actually quite a bit here in May because, uh, you know, we're part of this larger Redemption Church family. We're one of 10 congregations that are part of this, and uh, a lot of the life at the congregations is going really well. Uh, what's been more challenging is some of the infrastructure and governance and uh, other organizational dynamics when it comes to the cooperation of the churches. And so uh, I've been commissioned as part of a task force. All the executive team and the lead pastors for Redemption uh, took a vote this week and they commissioned this task force. They invited me to be part of it. And we're gonna spend about the next six weeks uh, really trying to help nail down some of these organizational type things. And so uh, th that's gonna be a pretty intense work. And so as a result of that, I'm not gonna be preaching really at all in May, uh, but I'll be back preaching uh, in June and July and with Seth gone, gosh, I'm going to preach more than anyone ever wanted me to. So uh, anyway, but I would appreciate your prayers for Seth and Taylor as they prepare. Again, you'll see them a bunch. Uh, they're not leaving uh, anytime. Well, I guess it's kind of soon. It'll be here fast. Uh, and then I'd appreciate your prayers for, for me and for uh, the other folks that are going to be working in that process. Um, we really do love the larger redemption family and uh, hope that we can you know, figure out some good ways to keep working together for a long time. So uh, speaking of family, uh, we're at that time of year now where the family, uh, extended family doesn't come to visit anymore, right? They don't come in the summer. Uh, they all came this spring. Uh, we had a bunch of family come, you know, Molly's sister and her husband and her kids, Molly's parents, right? And, and so this happens, right, in the fall and in the spring, people come to visit. And isn't it great when they come visit, right? They come and you show them around, you show them some of your favorite spots, you, you know, help them, you know, kind of see some of your life and you go have some adventures and do some stuff. It's cool for us, like when our, when our kids are with their cousins and there's just a lot of cool, crazy energy about that. Uh, it's so great when family comes and it's awesome when they leave. Isn't it? I mean, it's just like you love them and it's great to have them visit. But, but if you're honest, you go, I'm not really ready for them to move in. Like, it's great that they're here. Great that they're visiting. I'm not ready for them to move in. And uh, the reason is because if they moved in, it would really disrupt things. It, it, it would, you'd have to rearrange a whole bunch of stuff. People would probably have to sleep in different arrangements. And I mean, it just would mess up a lot of different things. Uh, the, what we're seeing in this passage here in Romans 8 is that the Holy Spirit, and I actually think this is good news, but it is disruptive. The, the Holy Spirit is not visiting. He's moving in. The Holy Spirit is not just kind of here for a couple weeks and then he's gone, but the Holy Spirit's coming in. And as a result, he's going to disrupt some things. He's going to rearrange some things. He's going to re, uh, make us reassess some things. And that's what we're looking at in this series is that the Holy Spirit has come. He's given us life. And now we're doing life in the Spirit. 
And so we're looking at Romans chapter 8, and that's what we've been doing along the way. The Holy Spirit's not visiting, he's moving in, and that's actually quite comforting because of the security he brings. We started looking at that security. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. I feel like we could just preach this verse every week of this series, and it would be awesome. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Because of our sin, because of the sin against us, we often feel condemned. We said that when a building is condemned, it's deemed unfit for use. It's no longer functioning the way it was intended to function. Therefore, it's condemned. You could argue that because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, our inward orientation, uh, because of that reality, we are naturally condemned. We're condemned before God. God looks at us and says, I love you, but you're not living in line with the way I designed you. You're not fit for my purposes. You're not fit for my use. And yet, in the midst of all that, it says there's no condemnation. We're no longer condemned. We're now deemed fit for service. We're now deemed useful for God's work because we're in Christ Jesus. That began a discussion that we looked at last week about this contrast between those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit. We saw these two categories of people, those in the flesh, those in the spirit. They operate from two different mindsets. Some set their minds on the things of the flesh. Others set their minds on the things of the spirit. And these two results, which is that those in the flesh, it says in verse 7, they're hostile to God, don't submit to God, cannot submit to God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. On the other hand, those who are in the spirit are receptive to God, following the Lord, seeking his will. And so today what we're looking at is is that we are the home of the Holy Spirit. We're we're looking at the significance that the Holy Spirit isn't just visiting, but he's making a home in us. Uh, One of the things I just want to do tonight, I hope hope we can do this, I hope we can try to um, demystify the Holy Spirit a little bit. Now I don't want to entirely do that, right, because... The Lord's mysterious. He works in mysterious ways. The secret things belong to the Lord. We don't want to try to make it like God is just everything's totally explainable with him. And yet sometimes the Holy Spirit's such a mystery, such a like, what's going on with that whole Holy Spirit thing? Part of my hope is to help you just get some tangible, tangible kind of affection for an understanding of what the Holy Spirit does, what he does in us, what he does for us, and what he calls us to. So that's what we're going to do. Let's pray. We'll ask for God's help. Father, we come tonight uh, wanting to live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Wanting to be your people who are receptive to you making your home among us. God, would you help us with that? Would you teach us from your word, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a significant shift uh, as we get into this passage. Up to this point, it's been all saying those, those according to the flesh, those according to the spirit, those, 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 those. Uh, now we make a transition where the first word of this verse is you. And this begins to introduce us to this first big idea tonight, which is the people who are the home of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 is going to show us the people who are the home of the Holy Spirit. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. You, however, so now he's not just talking about those people out there. He's talking about, hey, you, those of you who are following Jesus, you, 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 those of us listening, the Roman people that he's writing to, you are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. Again, there's that dichotomy. Uh, 
Let's just review, since we talked about it last week, want to make sure we understand this. When we say flesh, what are we talking about? Well, the flesh is, is the Apostle Paul's way of saying your fallen, egocentric human nature, your sin-dominated self. That's the flesh. The flesh isn't your physical body. He's going to actually talk in a couple verses about how great the physical body is and how God intends to resurrect it. But the flesh here, it's your fallen, egocentric human nature. On the other hand, the spirit is being connected with the personal Holy Spirit who revives and who indwells his people. If you're in the flesh, you're intent on living for yourself. You've got a this-worldly orientation. If you're in the spirit, you're intent on living for God. And notice the way that he describes it. He describes it as these locations, in the flesh or in the spirit. Think about it this way. Uh, I remember a lot of times when my kids were little, we'd go to the grocery store and you'd get the grocery cart and you'd put them in the cart and you just would get the normal cart and they'd be in that cart riding along and then they would see the car carts and they'd go, dad, 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 can I get in that? We, get, let's do that, let's do that. Right, they'd see the, the cop car cart or the taxi or the you know school bus or the fire truck whatever it is like oh, let's get in that let's get in the car cart the sports car right and so they'd be riding along carried in this just ordinary lame you know basket cart and you'd pick them up and move them into the car cart this is what Paul's saying Paul's saying hey naturally you come into this boring basket called the flesh you're just in there that's what's carrying you. That's the stream you're riding down. You are in the flesh. But what happens is by faith, God comes along and he picks you up and he puts you into a new cart. He puts you into a new vehicle. You've moved out of the sin cart and into the spirit cart. You've moved out of the flesh cart and into the Christ cart. You've moved out of the, the Adam, just acting like everybody else, just like your sinful father Adam, to, to now you're in the Jesus cart. There's a whole shift that takes place. And so he's saying, you're not in the flesh anymore. You remember what it was like to live in the flesh? When you were in the flesh, you asked all the wrong questions, right? When you're in the flesh, you ask questions like this. Uh, so if I commit this sin, can I still go to heaven? Wrong question. When you are in the flesh, you ask, uh, do I have to obey the whole Bible? Uh, when you're in the flesh, you, you say, now which corners can I cut? and have it still be okay with God. When you're in the flesh, you can go, well, what technically, like where's the line that's technically sin? Because I'd like to get as close to it as I could, but not technically sin, right? All of those are flesh questions. All of those, here's what they do. They assume that life with God is lousy. They assume, yeah, life with God, it's a real downer, it's real boring, I don't want that. It distrusts God. God feels like a bad deal to me, right? That's life in the flesh. And it's no wonder, right? That sounds like verse five, setting your mind on the things of the flesh. It sounds like verse seven, hostile to God, not submitting to God, can't please God. He's going, that's not you anymore. You're in a whole new cart. You're now in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God, and here it is again, dwells in you. This is a key word. This word's gonna show up a number of times. You can highlight it, write it in your Bible. Uh, this word dwell means to live in to make a home in. Eugene Peterson describes it in the message as the Holy Spirit taking up residence. This is significant. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. He goes on to say, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. 
So this is significant. It's not that like you can have Jesus and not have the Spirit. No, if you, ha- if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you have the Spirit. That's what he's saying. This is important because sometimes people, uh, there's different traditions that they teach something that's basically like uh, you can believe in Jesus, but then if you really focus on holiness and you really yield yourself to God, then you can have this secondary experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like, hey, you can be like kind of like a JV Christian or you can join the varsity and get the Spirit. And nobody says it quite that crassly, but that's kind of how it functions. And that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, then you're not even a Christian. There is no category of like non-spirit indwelt Christians. That's not a thing. So, So what this is saying is that we are the people who are the home of the Holy Spirit. God has come to dwell with us, to make residence with us, to live with us. This is stunning. And this is our identity. I remember one time listening to an athlete and he was being interviewed. He'd been under a lot of crit- criticism and he said, well, you know, uh, I- I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna be who I am. I'm gonna be who I am, man. The reporter said, well, who's that? He said, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not gonna be who everyone thinks I am. I'm not gonna be what everyone says I am. I'm gonna be who I am. And it was like, okay, who's that? Well, it's not who everybody says I am, right? Like, dude, you have no idea who you are. That's what this is. And I think a lot of us are in the same place. Who are you? Who are you? Like at your core, who are you? Who's the real you? Now, our, our, our society, nobody actually explicitly teaches us this, but here's exactly what is being taught to us all the time. Here's what you gotta do. You gotta figure out who you are. You gotta figure out your identity. You gotta figure out how you identify. And the way you do that is you have to look within. You have to find the most true you. It's not connected to any tradition and it's not connected to anything related to God and it's not connected even to anything in your actual body. It's just there's this somehow there's this true you in there somewhere and you've got to find that true you person and, and take this, fra- and it's very fragile. You've got to bring this little fragile person out and then demand that everybody celebrate it. That's how identity works. And that's a lot of pressure. How do you find the real you? And what if people don't like it? Ah. Listen, can we just end that for followers of Jesus? We don't got to do that. You don't have to dig in. You don't have to go back and try to figure out, well, who am I based on my ethnicity? Or who am I based on my sexuality? Or who am I based on my gender? Or who am I based on my career? Or who am I based on what my family said? Or who am I based on where I live? You don't got to do that. Here's who you are. If you're in Jesus, according to the book of Romans, you're a child of the Father, you're the bride of the Son, and you're the home of the Holy Spirit. That's who you are. Who are you? Oh, I don't know. I'm not who everyone says. Who cares? Here's who you are. Child of the Father. Bride of the Son, home of the Holy Spirit. That's who you are. That's who you are. You're the home of the Holy Spirit. That's stunning. Right? That's stunning. Every, this is part of what makes Christianity so special. Every other religion is, is people trying to somehow climb their way to get to God or to get to nirvana or to get to enlightenment or to get to freedom. Whatever it is they worship, they're trying to climb and scrounge and get there. And here God himself comes and he says, I'm gonna dwell with you. I'm gonna take up residence with you. Why? Because you belong to me. You're mine. You're a child of the Father. You're the bride of the Son. You're the home of the Holy Spirit. That's who you are. 
So that's who we are. We're the people who are the home of the Holy Spirit. But there's more. There's the promise of being home of the Holy Spirit. That would be good enough, right? If you said, wow, God's gonna indwell me for the rest of my life, like God's gonna give me power and God's gonna give me love and God's gonna give me patience and God's gonna give me self-control and God's gonna give me a whole new perspective. God's gonna give me the ability to endure suffering. Like, wow, if that's all you got, that's a great deal, but there's more. Secondly, the promise of being the home of the Holy Spirit. This is in verses 10 and 11. He says, but if Christ is in you, And again, there's that same kind of dwelling type language. Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If Christ is in you, okay, so he's going, there's more. Because if Christ is in you, he's not not just dwelling in you by the spirit, but here's what's going on. Even though the body's dead because of sin, let's just pause on that for a moment. Here's what he's saying. The body is dead because of sin. In other words, sin is literally killing us. The reason our bodies decay, the reason our bodies fall apart, the reason we age and it gets so painful and it gets so tough and it gets so fragile is because we live in a sinful world. We are sinners by nature and we sin by choice and we are decaying. Why? Because of sin. Because of our personal sin? That's not what he's really saying. He's not saying like, you know, if you, if you die young, it's because you sinned. That's not what he's saying. But he's going, hey, this, this reality of death, this reality of bodily decay, it's because we're sinners. Sin is killing us. Here's this quote by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this, the moment we enter into this world and begin to live, we also begin to die. Your first breath is one of the last you will ever take. The principle of decay leading to death is in every one of us. I gotta read that middle sentence again. Your first breath is one of the last you will ever take. That only makes sense from an eternal perspective, right? Because you go like, man, you're so young, right? Some of us, we go like, man, I'd love to go back to when I was 18. I'd love to go back to when I was 22. I'd love to go back to when I was 25. I'd love to go back to when I was 55, right? Like, Like we have this like, man, I'd love to go back. And at the best you ever were, guess what? You were decaying. You were falling apart. You were on the path toward death. Why? Because the body is dead because of sin. And yet there's hope for us because it says the spirit is life because of righteousness. So even though the body is decaying, here's what he's saying. Not only do you have God in this life with you and your body is decaying in the midst of that and the spirit's gonna give you strength as you suffer and as you age and as you uh, fall apart, but here's the good news. The spirit is life because of righteousness. The spirit is gonna make you alive. The spirit is gonna reverse that decay. The spirit is gonna allow you to live forever. Why? Because of righteousness. Well, this raises an interesting question. Who's righteousness? Because you go, well, I don't feel like I actually am righteous. And uh, here's what I wanna say. Ding, ding, ding. Correct. Listen, hell is filled with people who thought they were good enough. Heaven is filled with people who knew they weren't. They knew they weren't. They said, I'm not good enough. I'm not righteous. If it depends on my own righteousness, I'm in big trouble. And so there is righteousness that allows, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness, but whose righteousness? Not ours, 
right? This is why it said in verse 3, God has done what we couldn't do by sending his son, by sending him as a sacrifice, by fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law. God did what we could never do. So yes, we are experiencing life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Jesus' righteousness. That's our hope. That's our future. (laughs) But it gets better. Look at what this spirit is life is gonna actually look like. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ, Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay. Do you understand the logic of a sentence? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, uh, does he? That's what the last verse said. He does, right? If you belong to Christ, the spirit's in you. Okay, so the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Here's what's coming. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also, and I love the definitiveness of this word, will also. This is certain. This is rock solid. He will give life to your mortal bodies. In other words, just as God raised Jesus from the dead, if you have the Spirit, he'll raise you from the dead. You'll be raised. You'll be victorious. You will live forever. And, uh, and guess what? You'll get a better body than you ever had. You probably won't be taller. I'm sorry. It's, he's going to resurrect your actual body, okay? You don't probably go from 5'7 to 6'4. I'm sorry. It's just, you know... It, but, but think about it, like he resurrects your body. Like when the, when the disciples saw Jesus, they didn't think he was like from the North Pole. They recognized him. They, he looked like him. You're gonna look like you, but you're gonna be raised victorious, immortal, imperishable, strong, vibrant. And this, as he says, will happen. This is certain. Listen, God is not into daisy theology, right? Daisy theology is he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. No, 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 God is going, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I'm for you, I'm with you, I sent my spirit, I'm coming, I'm raising, trust me, I'm for you, I'm all in. God's not into daisy theology. He is, here's this promise of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he's gonna indwell you now, but the promise is you're also gonna be raised with Christ later. So that's an incredible privilege, isn't it? I mean, that's an incredible blessing. That's an incredible gift. God's gonna come live with you and he's gonna raise you to live with Christ forever. So there's some responsibility. That takes us to the third piece of this. The responsibility of being the home of the Holy Spirit. There's a responsibility, right? When God blesses us, he never wants the blessing to just terminate on us. He wants us to be blessed in order to be a blessing, right? He gives us grace in order that we could give others grace, right? As, as the Marvel prophets have said, with great power comes great responsibility, right? So this is why he begins saying, so then, so then brothers. In other words, you got some stuff to do. Now get this, nothing you're going to do here is going to earn you any more of God's love. You already have it. Uh, here's a quote, by the way, from, from uh, Ray Orland. I, I like this quote. He says, this is a quote uh, that was going to be in the point before, so we'll put it in there. Uh, he says this, the Christian life is primarily something to be received from on high, not offered from below. 
The Christian life, you receive it. You don't, you don't offer it to God as like, oh, dear God, now I finally made it. So, so this so then is not saying this is so you get eternal life. He's just saying because you have it, because you've gotten this gift, because you've received this blessing, now here's what you got to do. Here's the responsibility. Brothers, we are debtors. That's a word that involves responsibility, right? If you, you owe something. Okay, you're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So he's going, hey, there's an obligation now, but let's be really clear, your obligation is not to the flesh. You don't live there anymore. Sometimes my family and I, we like to, uh, when we're in uh, North Gilbert, where we lived 15 or so years ago, and most of our kids didn't grow up in that house, and so if we're kind of over there with everybody, sometimes we'll pull in that little neighborhood and look at that old house and uh, kind of, you know, tell them stories about different stuff, and I just sort of imagine, like, what if we were sitting out front one day, and uh, the people that own that house come out, and they're like, excuse me, can we help you? And we're like, yeah, we used to live here, and they're like, oh, man, we're so glad you stopped by, uh, because we've been trying to get a hold of you, actually. We're, we're, we're repainting the house. We need you to pitch in. Yeah, imagine what you'd do, right? You'd go, get lost. Like, I don't live here anymore. This isn't my problem. I've moved out, right? That's what he's saying. You're not a debtor to the flesh. You have no responsibility to the flesh anymore. You don't live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. In other words, if you just keep going according to the flesh, that's how you got into this mess in the first place. That's what gives you suffering. That's what gives you death. That's what gives you pain. Do you want to live that way? No. All that living according to the flesh has ever done has made you maybe happy for a short period of time and left you a gaping hole of dissatisfaction. It's just left you selfish. It's left you small. It's shriveled your soul. You don't want, you, you're moved out of that house. That's not you anymore. And this is when you encounter people who knew you before you were a believer. And they go, ah, I know the real you. You go, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because that's who I was. But I'm now a child of the Father. And I'm the bride of the Son. And I'm the home of the Holy Spirit. And so I don't owe that old life anything. Okay, so we, we don't have a responsibility there. But, but he seems like there is a responsibility. He doesn't explicitly say it, right? He doesn't say, so then, brothers, we're debtors not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. But it's implied. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, so this gets into our responsibility. What's our responsibility? Our responsibility is, is this, to by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. So you don't have a responsibility to the flesh. You moved out there, but now you're in this new house and it's God's rules in this house and it's God's blessing in this house. And there's a way of life in this house, and here's what it is. It's to, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. To put to death sin. The King James Version, I think, actually translates this as to mortify, to kill. So, so get this. Something's going to die. It's either going to be you will die, or it's going to be the deeds of the body will die. You pick. If you go back to the old house, 
you get back in the old cart, that's going to just lead to death. You don't need to do that. Instead, put to death the deeds of the body. Put to death sin because it is this sin, it is this self-dominated focus that is ruining our lives and that it's keeping us from God's mission and it's keeping us from being close to God's heart. So the responsibility is to put to death the deeds of the body. Now, this takes courage and it's hard to do. This feels extreme. Put it to death? Yes, Put it to death. You got to be more extreme than the little baseball guys I've been helping coach. I've been helping coach Hank's team. They're like five and six year old boys, and uh, they're all into baseball. They're you know got the eye black going, and you know they've been watching Fernando Tatis and you know all the guys, and they're doing all their little. It's so cute and so like. I mean, my little guy's out there like crossing himself at second base, like he. <laughs> Dude, you don't even know what, he has no clue what that means, right? So like, they're super intense, you know, until, until in the middle of practice, someone goes, it's a ladybug. And then all the major league intensity vanishes and they all run over, look, it's a ladybug, it's a ladybug, it's on my hand, look, it's a ladybug. And there's always some kid that's like, kill it, right? And they're like, no, 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 don't kill it. Right, it's, it, ah, ah, it's a ladybug, it's, it's cute, maybe it'll fly, How many, oh look, it's, listen, that's a very different reaction than my wife Molly Simmons has when she finds a scorpion in our house, right, she doesn't go, hey, look, look, it's a scorpion, look, ooh, here, it's on my hand, oh, it's a big one, no, it's a little, ooh, that one's probably really poisonous, here, look, she doesn't do that, it's like we're declaring nuclear war on this little sucker, like we might move or at least have to like, you know, cordon off part of the house for a week because of all the chemicals we just dumped there, right? It is like, she's gonna put it to death. And here's what I wanna say. So many of us treat our sin like it's a ladybug instead of like a scorpion. Like we go, oh, look. We analyze it. We might even say like, you know what? I don't, yeah, I don't want this anymore. This is bad for me. This is embarrassing, or I don't like how this makes me feel. But, but we're not yet to the point of going, putting it to death. This is serious. This is intense. This is courageous. Because our sin kind of gives us a little bit of hit of comfort. If, really, if we really dealt with that financial thing, ah, man, I'd really have to trust God. If I really like totally locked down my phone where I couldn't get to that website, well, but what if I really need to feel better? You know, there's that one messaging app my spouse doesn't know about. You know, but what if something happened and I need to keep my op? No, kill it, put it to death. This is a scorpion. This is not a ladybug. This is a black widow. It's trying to destroy you. It's trying to ruin you. It's trying to kill you. You're not a debtor. You have no responsibility to your flesh. All it's ever done is ruin you. Put it to death. That's the call here. That's the responsibility. You've been given the spirit of God. You've been given a promise of resurrection. Now here's what God wants. God wants you to put it to death. 
You go, that sounds like a lot of work. It is a lot of work. But how do you fulfill this responsibility? You do it with the power and the strength that God gives you. And that's what he's talking about when he says do it by the Spirit. He's not saying put to death the deeds of the body through your effort, put to death the deeds of the body through your willpower. He says do it by the Spirit. So how do we do it by the Spirit? Right, the Apostle Paul elsewhere, uh, Galatians 5, he says walk by the Spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. In Ephesians 5, he says don't get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so we need to walk by the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. Here's what this means. This means that we have to do this through God's power, with God's help, with God's mindset, in dependence on Him. We have to get filled with the Spirit, because here's the reality. If you're full, the the pleasures of sin are not quite as enticing, because you go, oh man, I got God. We had a a member's... uh, prayer and worship night on Tuesday God met us and it was precious and sweet and and I just I left that night going I feel full I feel full of God God filled me up but but you know what the the next day after I slept on it I was still like yeah that's cool that was cool that was a great night but but I I wasn't full anymore of the Spirit, and I need to get full again. So I want to tell you how to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you, if you've been around a long time, you've heard uh, me give this word picture, but some of you haven't, and so welcome to the club. Uh, Being filled with the Spirit is like chocolate milk. Chocolate milk, I mean, how good is chocolate milk? Some of you, uh, I've planted the seed, you're having chocolate milk tonight for sure, uh, because you forgot how good chocolate milk actually was. And uh, I'm not talking about the kind you buy at the grocery store that you convince yourself is actually a protein drink after you work out. That's, uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about good old-fashioned chocolate milk. And here's what you'll do tonight, a few of you. Uh, you'll get out this tall glass, and you'll pour in that white, cold, delicious, creamy milk. And then you'll get out your Hershey syrup, and you'll hold it over the precipice, and you'll squeeze. <laughs> And this glob of chocolate will come into the milk. And you know what that's like? That's like when God indwells us with the Spirit. He says, here you go. Right? By faith, we trust in Christ. He makes us alive. We, right? This is what it said. We, we uh, it wasn't on this one. It was on this one. Right? Um, dwe- eh, 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 it doesn't matter. Yeah. In you. Dwells. Dwells. It's all over the place. I didn't even need to do that. That wasn't worth it. Um, <laughs> All right, so, so the Spirit's in us. We have the Spirit, but do we have chocolate milk? No. What you have is milk with a surprise at the end, right? <laughs> and the only way you're going to get that to be chocolate milk is you've got to get out a spoon or a knife or a fork or your instrument of choice, chopsticks, I don't know, and stir it up, and you stir it up and stir it up and stir it up, and suddenly that chocolate glob at the bottom begins to actually permeate all the milk. And now the whole milk is chocolate. That's being filled with the Spirit. Every day what we do is we say, God, would you speak to me? God, would you work through me? God, would you show me your word? God, in a spirit of dependence, we read the scripture and we pray and we seek God and we go hard after him and we say, Lord, would you fill me? Would you fill me? Lord, I'm not asking you to give me the Holy Spirit. I know I already have him because I've trusted Christ. I'm asking you to fill me with him. 
permeate my life. Let every square inch of my soul be, be filled with your power, with your goodness. Now, here's what happens. If for whatever reason you get interrupted, you don't get to finish the milk, and you uh, have to put it in the fridge, and then you sleep on it, you get it out the next day. Do you have chocolate milk? Nope. You've got dingy milk because the chocolate has resettled at the bottom. And so if you were going to just keep nursing the same glass, you'd have to like keep stirring it up every day, every time, every, every way. Do you see this? This is life with the Spirit. This is what God's inviting us to. He's saying, I'm filling you. You're my home. Here's a promise for you. You're going to be raised forever. Now here's this responsibility. By the Spirit, with my permeating power, with my filling, with my strength, with my encouragement, as you sit under me, as you rest your heart in my power, as you seek me by prayer, as you listen to my word. This, by the way, this is why we read the Bible. We don't read the Bible so we can feel good checking off our Bible in a year plan. We read the Bible because every morning we wake up and at best it's like, oh yeah, I guess I have the Spirit. And you don't need to get reconverted again, but you do need to get refilled again. Refilled. God, fill me. God, strengthen me. God, stir me up. This is God's heart for us. This is life in the spirit, that we are the home of the Holy Spirit, that he is going to dwell in us, he's going to make us new forever, and he's going to call us to live that way now. That's who you are. You're a child of the Father. You're the bride of the Son. You're the home of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to go live that way. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for the promises of Romans 8. God, thank you that there's no condemnation. Thank you that you did what we could never do. Thank you for giving us your spirit to dwell in us. God, we want to live not just having the promise of eternal life. God, yeah, we want that, but, but we want to live now the way we were made to be. So God, give us your strength. Give us your power. Give us your filling. Help us to walk in the strength that you provide. We ask it in Jesus' name.